So we are here right now on the first actual recording of Raisin Brand. Raisin Brand. We uh, you, you passed knew it as Pixelcast. Uh, we are going through a rebrand of our podcast right now because we wanted it to be more aligned with the message and the topics that we wanted to talk about on the podcast. So with me today for the first Raisin Brand recording is Alyssa Nolte. Alyssa, can you tell me a little bit about you? Absolutely. So uh, my name is Alyssa Nolte, and I currently work for a company called Lift Innovate, which is a a nationwide company in the USA. We're all remote, so we don't have a specific headquarters. And we specialize in helping people who have purchased uh, a highly technical software, specifically Cisco software, helping them really get the most out of that experience and help their employees use it to its fullest potential to maximize that investment. Prior to my work with Lyft Innovate, I was the chief marketing officer for a company called Decida, which was a market research agency that was started in 2013 and had a prior name of eye tracking research. So when it comes to branding, I've gone through a lot of different iterations of how the brand is created and how it works and all the different pieces of it. It's something that's really important and really dear to my heart. And when we were working at Decida, we also consulted with a bunch of companies, um, well-known companies on their brand and helping them quantify their brand and put a revenue line item to it, you know, put dollar amounts to it to really understand the value of their brand. Sounds like you've been through a lot of marketing stuff. When, when did you realize marketing was what you wanted to do? So I, I was a senior in high school. And I knew I was going to UNI, and I didn't know what I wanted to do beyond I was really interested in psychology. And I was thinking, oh, I'm going to go into psychology, and I, I think that that's the most interesting subject. And my parents, being the, the pragma- pragmatists that they are, sat me down and said, so you're going into psychology, so that means grad school. And that means you're going to be a psychologist, so you're going to do four years of undergrad and then three to five years of postgrad and um, and be a psychologist. And I was like, no, I just want to study psychology. I don't I don't want to be a psychologist. <laughs> they, you know, were not very impressed with that answer. So um, they really encouraged me to look at what I could do with an interest and love of psychology, but actually have a job that I wouldn't, you know, that when I graduated from college that I could actually get a job in. So um, I did a lot of looking around and I finally realized that marketing is psychology with a practical and tactical focus. So I I often say that psychology is my first love and marketing is my practicality. So I went into UNI as a psychology and marketing double major, um, was almost instantly proven right that they were basically the same thing. My classes had so much overlap, but they had different lenses and different perspectives. So I felt like I had a really well-rounded understanding of the human experience as it relates to marketing. That's awesome. So right out of college, you you got a job with eye tracking research. Yeah. So can you tell me a little bit about what that role consisted of and what that, that story is like? Absolutely. So when I was in college, I was working at a marketing research company um, that was a subsidiary of the university. And we, as part of our service to the university, did research for small businesses on grants because they couldn't afford to have market research or any of those insights that are important to the success of a company. And so we did this for this small company called Eye Tracking Research. And at the time, it was just two guys. It was um, Mike and Bill. And they were going to be doing this company. And as part of our work for them, um, I participated in what's called an eye tracking session. And eye tracking is exactly what it sounds like. It is our uh, software that, and technology that allows us to see through the eyes of people and see what they're looking at on a computer screen and see what they're you know, experiencing and what they're ignoring. And just like a quick disclaimer... It's a special computer. You know you're being eye tracked. We're not, you know, creeping into your homes. I get that question all the time that people are like, so you can see what I'm looking at when I'm home? No, I can't. Um, But if you come into our research lab, we can see what you're looking at on our special computer screen. So that with consent, consent, (laughs) that quick disclaimer. Um, So I was a participant and they were kind of demoing the technology for potential customers. 
And I was so excited about the technology and what it meant for marketing and advertising and what it meant for communicating with customers that I just talked through my entire interview. And um, Mike, who was running the interview and running the eye tracking session, basically had to throw out all of my data because it wasn't usable because I was so distracted by how excited I was by the technology. I wasn't focusing on the, uh, the thing I was supposed to be evaluating during the session. So long story short, uh, I, I asked him, you know, do you have anyone to do your marketing and sales? I graduate in a couple of months. I love what you're doing. I think it is fascinating and it's interesting and it's something I can really get behind. Um, and his basic answer was, no, and we're not a real company yet, so I don't really need anyone to come do that for me. And uh, I I didn't let go of that because I really thought what he was doing was amazing and I wanted to be a part of it. So I uh, f- forced my way in is the best way to put it. I, I You know, if Mike tells you the story, he'll tell you that I walked into his office and let him know that I work here now. And if he could show me to my desk, that would be great. <laughs> so, uh, and yeah, anyway, it worked out in the end. I, I was braver back then. I think it's amazing that he even, you know, let me through the door. So, um, so I, I worked with eye tracking research for a really long time and my role was marketing and sales, which when you're, when you're not very experienced, you don't think of as separate things. And then you get really experienced and you think of them as truly separate things that have no play with each other. And then you get really, really experienced and spend a lot of time in this world. And you realize that marketing and sales are two sides of the same coin that have to work together really, really well. The best sales teams I've ever seen have the best marketing teams at their back. And sales feeds marketing the information they need to be successful. And marketing feeds sales the information they need to be successful. It is a, it is a feedback loop. You can't have one without the other. And if one is not very good, the other is not going to be very good. So taking your sales team and saying, am I giving them the information they need to be successful for marketing and taking your marketing team and saying, is the sales team giving us what we need to be successful? Those are the best companies because they are creating experiences for their customers that make it easy for those customers to say yes when it comes time to sell. So you're, I, you were kind of playing both of those roles. Then. I was both of those roles which I learned a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. I did a lot of things that were dumb. Um, Fortunately, I had people in my life who were willing to tell me what I did was dumb and give me that feedback and help me grow as a person. Um, So yeah, for a long time, I did both of those things. I was the messenger and I was the salesperson and I was the person passing it off to the account manager, passing it off to the research team. I filled a lot of roles. And while that was overwhelming and and stressful a lot of the time I le- I gained so many skills that now I have so much more empathy for the people who are on my team because I know exactly what I'm asking them to do and I've done it before so I, I don't have any conception of you know oh what you're doing is easy because I've done it so it, it was a really good experience for me to really understand all sides and be immersed in all sides of that process I I've been privilege to kind of seen a lot of that process because back you look back to the good old incubator days right oh my god yeah when i got to watch eye tracking grow Mm -hmm. to a point where both of us moved out of the incubator at about the same time we both were expanding Mm -hmm. but then you guys changed and we did and i it's one of those things that when when a name change happens that's different than just changing your logo right totally and can you tell me a little bit about why that happened and uh, what went into that process? So why it happened, we were getting feedback from our clients that the name eye tracking research pigeonholed us into only doing eye tracking research. And we were a trusted and valued partner for a lot of our clients. And they wanted us to expand our services because they trusted us to do so. So for example, at the time, we were only doing eye tracking, which is a very specific type of research. Well, they wanted us to do focus groups and surveys and information architecture research. Well, the name eye tracking research didn't lend itself to those other services. It was very much a name that was focused on what we did rather than who we were. So the time came where we said, okay, we need to come up with some name that is broad enough that will allow us to grow and expand, but 
still authentic and true to who we were as a company. And, you know, we had specific criteria. I didn't want it to be too long. I wanted to have a URL that I could have that wasn't going to be super long because our our URL was eyetrackingresearch.com, but the I was I as an iPod. And I'm scarred from on the phone saying, you know, my email address is Alyssa at eyetrackingresearch.com. That's I as an iPod trackingresearch.com. And like so many times I had to say, I'm like, I'm not doing that anymore. If I'm going to have to spell it out, it's going to have to be short. So in that process, we had to do a whole renaming. We couldn't be eye tracking research anymore. That was clear. So we had to do an entire renaming and we struggled with that. I mean, it took us months, maybe a year to really figure out what direction we wanted to go. And it finally came down to, we needed to identify what we believed in. So a lot of the words that we used to talk about ourselves were, you know, the power of discovery. We believe that nothing is more important than discovering the information you need to be successful. We are scientists at our heart. So science is really important to what we do. It's the foundation. And we believe that with good science, we can get good information for you. Um, A little homage to our former um, role as an eye tracking company We want to help you see through the eyes of your customers. And then at the end of the day, research is only useful if it helps you make smart decisions. So when we're looking at those words, they kept coming up in conversation. What are we about? What do we care for? We came up with discover, science, see, and decide. So decida is an amalgamation of those words, discover, science, see, and decide. So when we were trying to come up with a name, we decided that it's okay to make up our own word. You know, every all the big ones do it, right? So why not us? And we wanted that name to be a story that we could tell. So just like I told you here, that DECIDA stands for Discover, Science, See, and Decide. It's because we believe in the power of discovery through science to help you see and decide. So we wanted to be able to have an immediate story that could go along with what our name was. Um, more than just a name, but actually the total essence of who we were. That's always a fun story to hear because it's... Choosing a name is not easy. And like you said, it took oh over gosh. a year. And it was horrible. And a lot of people believe that that's the only part of what a brand is, is the name and the logo, right? Yes. So and you, you had spent how many years working on the eye tracking name and branding and marketing? Was it, it was about four or five years? I think so. Yeah. I, four years at least. To then have to restart basically from scratch with a brand new name and start everything over. Like that's a task. It's a huge task. And and it's one of those things where I think a lot of people go into a branding discussion or, or in a decision to rebrand um, and think, oh, it's a logo and some colors, right? But it's so much more than that. And there's a reason that it's so much more than that, which we can get into in a little bit. But really, yes, it's your name but it's also your values. It's also what you stand for. It's also the colors that reflect, you know, your organization that look good in your, in your deliverables and your materials. It's your logo. And within that, your icon that goes with your logo and your name and all of the variations of that logo that need to be used in all of your collateral. You know, the word brand, that five letter word is so much more than that. Um, because one of the things that you have to think about is how am I going to use my brand? Because the brand is the most important asset that you have. There is nothing without your brand. You can have all the best products in the world, but if you don't brand them right, if you don't sell them right, if your marketing and your sales communication aren't working together, it doesn't matter how good your product is. You know, everyone thinks about Apple when they think about the best brands in the world. Apple is not the only cell phone provider out there. You can get Android. You can get basically every other company is producing these cell phones. But people are fiercely loyal to the iPhone, not because it's a superior phone. You know, I'm an Android user, so I will posit that it's not. But (laughs) it is the best example of immersive branding of any company that we have seen in modern day times. They have done such a good job of saying, this is our brand. This is what we stand for. You can look at an iPhone without a logo and you can know it's Apple just by the look and the feel and the way it makes you feel. Well, and there's a reason that when you need a tissue, people say, here's a Kleenex. Exactly. Or when you need a cotton swab, you say Q-tip. 
Right. right? Those, or, or a bandage is Band-Aid. Right. Those are so synonymous with people's everyday usage, but those aren't actually what they're called. They're brand names. And they've done such a good job of taking their brand and consistently applying it. I think that is the hardest part. That is the part that I struggled with most is as a small business and as someone who was running all sides of that, it's so easy to just throw something together and call it good enough even if it doesn't align with your brand standards or even if it doesn't align with the way you want to be simply because you are busy and you got to get stuff done. And that is something I've really had to learn to not do because good enough should never be good enough. It's one of those things where if you want your, if you want people down the line to take you seriously, then everything you do should be a reflection of who you want to be, not who you are. And if you want your brand to be something people take seriously and something people value and something people believe in, then you can't just throw things together and say, good enough. You just can't. So yeah. that's something that I've I've learned, especially at uh, my new company at Lyft Innovate. I was just going to say, like, what all that work that you put into Decida, I mean, it wasn't that long ago, right? It was... 2006. 17 maybe three years ago yeah not that long ago that you Mm rebranded all that work that you put into it how did that impact that next phase of the company and what happened next well so we uh, merged with lyft in january 2020 so it's fairly recent um you know i'm six months into it and we had to basically toss all of that branding and that was heart-wrenching at the time because it's something I had literally poured my blood, sweat, and tears into. And it was hard. It was hard to lose all of our branding, but it was for the greater good of our companies and the opportunities that we could have by joining Lyft. Um, So we've really, really enjoyed being on the Lyft team because they just have such a different perspective. So Lyft primarily works with large technology OEMs. In particular, they work with Cisco. They are a Cisco provider. And what we do is we go into these large enterprise organizations and we help their IT teams create branded stories. So a lot of the times in these large enterprise organizations, IT is connected to every single bit of the company, especially in our modern day age. And especially now with everything happening with the virus, we're all working from home. IT is at the heart of so many of the things that the company is trying to do, but often they are a secondary thought. They're an afterthought. They don't have a very strong internal brand, right? So what we do is we go in and we help these IT company, IT departments create stories and tell stories internally and help them develop an internal brand, which is just as important as the external brand. And as part of that, I'm learning so much about these different organizations that we work with, particularly our OEMs. And so I've, I've spent a lot of time actually reading the Cisco Style Guide, which is about 300 pages of Cisco's rules and governance and guidance on how their brand should be used in partner material, stuff that I'm producing for the IT departments within their organization. And Cisco is very, very specific on how you should be using their brand. They have something on almost every page to the effect of our brand is our flag. So here's the rules about, you know, what you can and can't do. You know, you have to have this much space away from their logo. You can only use these colors. You can't transform it. You can't make changes. You can't do anything that is outside of the style guide because this is our brand and this is the brand that we've created and this is the story we want to tell the way we want to be portrayed. So that has been a fascinating exercise going through all of those materials and those assets and to really see it from their perspective of, you know, this is our story and this is how we want you to tell it. So, And you said before the show, we were talking a little bit and you said that Lyft itself is going through a rebrand right now. We are. Yes. So one of the things Lyft is growing very, very rapidly and adding new people all the time and as part of that, because we've added new people, it's it's been the intention of our COO to really bring us under one unified brand because we're all coming from a couple of different places. So we have the Lyft legacy team, the people who started the company and have been building it up to this point. We have uh, my old team, the Decida team, who was coming in to a pretty established company. And we had a, a lot of people, I think we've tripled in size since I joined the company, 
uh, six months ago. So really, really exciting. But it felt disconnected because it was almost an us and a them because we had our brand and they had theirs. And we had to let go of, you know, some of our templates and some of the ways that we put materials together in order to fit in. So uh, recognizing that Jeff, our COO, decided it was time for a rebrand. That is one unified lift brand. This is something that we all are a part of rather than something that we just joined. So I think it's really great that he is doing that. Um, as part of that process, he is handpicking along with our marketing leader, all of the elements that go into a brand, thousands of icons and what they mean and in what context they should be used. Um, primary and secondary colors that we can use on all of our reporting, the way we design our text boxes all the way down to very, very specific details to our logo and how it should be used and, and what applications. So taking a page from that book of Cisco and saying, if we want people to perceive Lyft to be a certain way, what is the way that we are going to present ourselves in a unified way that feels like an us? Like no matter what comes out of Lyft, you know it will be a consistent, cohesive message. When you pick up a report, you will know it is a Lyft report. And you won't ever even have to look at the title or the the author section. You will know this is Lyft. And that's the goal with our rebranding process. There's two things in that that you just said that are interesting to me. And one is that the primary focus or the primary um, driver in the decision to rebrand seems to be an internal thing right? Mm -hmm. There's kind of a disconnect internally, which indicates that brand isn't just what the public sees, right? It, it, it goes way deeper than just that. I am so glad you picked up on that. So when Decida was consulting with very large organizations about their brand, one of the things we always said is we measured for authenticity. Your brand has to feel authentic to you. So if you are an organization who is, um, you know, has a certain type of way of doing business. You can't be Apple and that's okay. And you can't just decide to do the cool kid thing that day. You know, if your brand doesn't belong on TikTok, then don't be on TikTok. Not everybody needs to be on TikTok or Instagram. You don't have to be. It has to make sense for your strategy and has to be authentic to your brand. So brand like I said, it's a small word. It's a five letter word, but it, what it really is, is it is the, it is the, the external expression of your internal culture. So the things that you believe in, it's, it's how you communicate those things that are important to you, to the world and to your customers and to your prospects. And if you don't believe in your brand with every inch of your soul, it is not going to come across as authentic. So that's part of the thing here too, is that Lyft is trying to make sure that we are all under one unified umbrella and that our brand is speaking our truth and that our brand is an accurate representation of the people that make up Lyft. Um, because Lyft, one of the things I love about Lyft is they firmly believe that people are what makes the world go around we focus on how those people can better use the technologies provided to them. But the most important thing is people. And so the, the new brand is all about, all about that. So. The second thing that I, that I heard in there was that you guys wanted to rebrand so that your clients were perceiving you the way that you guys want to be perceived. Right. Mm -hmm. So that's the external side of it. Right. And a lot of people, again, think that brand is logo colors maybe a tagline, but how, how much of a weight do you put on the impact of your brand based on the comments and the feelings that your customers and clients and um, just the general public says or feels about your company? So I think that is a, a loaded question. There's a, <laughs> so much in there, so I, I appreciate that. Through our research, and, and as I mentioned in the beginning of the podcast, my background and my love is in psychology. And so one of the things that I've always really enjoyed is how we as humans interact with marketing. There's a reason that marketing is a multi-billion dollar, if not more, industry is because it can be effective. It can also be terrible. And 
one thing I learned in my time working um, in in the perception research or the marketing research side of it is that people make decisions about you and about your brand in less than one fifth of a second. They are processing what they are seeing from your brand, the visuals, the words, the text, the audio, using all of their senses, and they are making a decision in that moment about what to do with your brand. So finding a way to accurately represent yourself in a way that you would be proud of is so incredibly important and staying absolutely consistent with that. The other side of that is people do not like inconsistency. We as human beings, we love consistency. We love things to line up. We love things to happen the way we expect them. There's nobody who says, oh, I love it when I get an unpleasant surprise. Nobody says that, right? People might like surprises, but in reality, you like when the surprise is coming. But you're not going to say, oh, please surprise me with everything every day. Nobody's going to say that, or at least not me, that's for sure. And people like consistency. So if your brand isn't designed to allow for consistency, like when I talked about earlier with Cisco and their style guide, if you don't have that consistency in your brand, you are going to turn people off to your company and to what you're selling because people enjoy consistency and they want to know who you are. And that brand is that first handshake before you've really met a person. They've already made a snap decision about you based on their experiences with your brand and how you lead into it. You kind of got to the next point that I wanted to, and that was consistency. And consistency is a lot of work. Consistency is a ton of work. But you you touched a little bit on it, but what's the value? Like, how does... How do you quantify the value of that consistency and that work that goes into that? That the hard part is the word you just used, just to quantify, right? So there's been um, millions of hours of research and billions of dollars spent on the process to quantify your brand, and we have a we have a score that we use that's been tested for a lot of large companies and, and small companies alike to attempt to quantify the value of a brand because uh, that's hard to do. It's a, it's a squishy thing, right? It's it's an artsy thing, a creative thing. It's intangible. It's intangible, right? You can't, you know, if you do an audit of your inventory, you can say, I have 200 widgets in the warehouse, but how do you say my brand is worth this amount? Just the brand, just the name. Um, so there are a lot of things there in terms of how to quantify that. Consistency matters. Because, as I said before, it gives people an understanding of what to expect. But even more practical and tactical than that, if you have consistent frameworks and consistent guidelines and expectations, you can bring on people to do the work and give them a framework within which to do their job. So when it was just me doing the work, I could make all the executive decisions I wanted and it didn't matter because it, it was me. I could do whatever I wanted, right? Now I uh, work with a much larger organization and I have people working with me. And I, if I'm not clear about my expectations up front and I haven't given them a consistent framework, then they're going to have a hard time working with me. Your brand guidelines are no different. If you don't have a consistent framework, it's going to be hard for people on your team to successfully work within your framework. And if you have expectations for the way things should look or feel, or your customers have expectations for the way things should look or feel, then having those brand guidelines be consistent so everybody is on the same page, everybody knows what to expect, nobody is doing something that you won't be proud of. Because you don't get to take your brand back. Anything you put out there, you don't get to take it back. You don't get to call, you know, an audible and decide that you're going to just change things on the fly. You just don't get to do that because it's not what big grown-up companies do. And there's a reason it's not what big grown-up company things do. So that was a hard thing for me, though, when I first came into Lyft to think, oh, I don't just get to do whatever I want whenever I want. That's unusual. (laughs) You mean you don't get to go in on a Monday and be like, you know what? I think a new website. I think a new website. Oh, you know, I still have nightmares that's not the right word about the time that you and I decided overnight we would build a website (laughs) and I still remember sitting in my office at four in the morning on a like Monday night where we completely trashed and rebuilt our website overnight like it couldn't have been that good 
I can't imagine it was good. We were so tired. Yeah, it probably wasn't. That it good. probably wasn't that good. So it sounded like a good idea though. Right? At the time, yeah, it had to be done, and we didn't know how to <laughs> stage websites yet. So, so we, <laughs> oh, you know, we just part- trashed it all and rebuilt it, and hope nobody noticed, and hope that no one logs on it. 2 a.m. right yeah i mean you know i mean i'm sure no one was going to the website in those days at all period anyway but <laughs> that was pretty early it was pretty early it, we were pretty pretty young so so we've gotten really into what is a brand right like mm-hmm. what elements of a brand matter um why a brand's important but i want so i want people that are listening to this to come away with things that they could do today mm-hmm. to help their brand so if a company is listening to this right now and they're like, they're listening to it because they're struggling with their brand, what are some things and where should they start on doing that initial brand audit? <sighs> There's a lot there. Um, so the first thing that we learned in trying to do our own rebrand is that we are the worst people to do our own rebrand. Um, you're, you're way too close to if if you have a current brand you're way too close to that brand you're way too set in the way that you think it's being perceived because of course you understand your intentions right so the first thing we did is we brought in outside experts who were experts when it came to this kind of thing and they interviewed us and talked to us about what our intent was What is the message we are trying to deliver? So in the beginning of this podcast, I gave you my little elevator spiel about discover science, see and decide. That is not something that I came up with myself in the course of hours of conversation. Someone said, so you keep saying this word. Is that something that matters to you? Is that something that's important to you? You keep saying science. You keep saying true perspective. Are these things that matter to you? So it's not like it was some magic creative who who waved a magic wand and said, you know, these are the things that should be your brand. They took the time to listen and to figure out what I was saying to help me articulate what I was trying to say. So I would first start there is find someone who is gifted creatively and can help you take what you're trying to say and articulate it in a way that is reflective of a brand. Because I think so often we focus on the technical details and we don't focus on the final intent. What am I intending to get out of this conversation? What are your listeners intending to get out of a podcast? Instead, focusing on how you're delivering the message and what you're saying and rather instead of designing with the end in mind. So that would be my first thing is to get out of your own space and hire someone who knows what the heck they're doing. Totally makes sense. Uh, A lot of that, getting that third party perspective gives you a much different view of what your brand is. Mm-hmm. And it also gives you that outside what I was saying about your customer's point of view of your business. It gives you that. Absolutely. Even and if they aren't a real customer, a real client, they're still third party and they're not married to your brand like you are. Absolutely. You know, you you built that. It's it's your baby. It's something that you're proud of. It's something that you've lived with. And obviously you like it enough to keep using it, but not enough to keep it forever. Like, I think you have to be open to, to the process of changing and know that it's not going to be perfect the entire time. Like you're going to start a rebrand and you're going to say, Oh, I'll have this done within 30 days. And then six months will go by and it's still not done because it is a huge undertaking. And it's as much a part of the company as what you sell. In fact, if not more, because it needs to work seamlessly with everything you do, everyone you work with, and everyone who works on your team. It all has to work universally, and that is hard to do. There's a reason that I like going back to early Pixel Labs days and seeing the old logo. And <sighs> I actually just ran across uh, just this morning a website audit that you guys did for us for one of our first websites. Oh my goodness. That's so <laughs> I was reading through it. I was like, why did I make all those decisions on this website? Right. <laughs> and at right. the time it was decent, but it, it didn't have brand to it. It was just, well, it and, was and just our services. You know, it's hard. It's hard when you're a small business because so much of your focus is just get it done, get it done, get it to the client, meet your deadlines, make money, get more sales. Like it's hard. And 
there is a point where you just have to do those things and that, you know, you have to do those things in order to be a business that survives. But in those quiet moments where you feel a moment of, of breath and, and being able to, you know, do things other than just deliver, really thinking about how you present yourselves. And that gets easier as you work at it because you can create these systems and these guidelines and these expectations. So it's second nature to put your brand first. And that takes time and it takes careful thought and it takes buy-in from you as the owner or or the employee. Everyone has to agree and understand the expectations and buy into that brand and know that it's real and it's authentic. Absolutely. You said authentic a couple of times throughout this uh, talk. And um, I know that's a word that we use a lot in our branding because we feel like uh, it's important to be authentic because with technology now, everyone can see through the bullcrap. And if you try to be something that you're not, it's really easy to have customers and clients discover that really quickly. uh, And then you've lost them as a potential, as potential business. I think there's also even an extension of that. So if you were to hire me and I presented myself a certain way and then you actually start working with me and it's not reflective of who I am, anyone who has owned a business has gotten a resume before and hired a person and then that turns out to not be reality, right? Or they oversold themselves in the interview or they had a really great interview, but it wasn't quite reflective of what you expected. I don't know about you, but I have always a sour taste in my mouth because I'm always worried about that. You know, if I bring this person into my team, I'm a, I'm a small team. I'm moving fast. If I bring this person into my team, what if they don't fit? It is no different than when you're working with a company. If your brand is your flag, your brand is your resume. And that's what people are going to think of you. And if you present yourself as, you know, a hip and cool organization but then when they actually work with you, it doesn't come through that way or whatever they thought they bought isn't reflective of reality. You're either A, going to have a very unhappy customer and have to issue refunds of some kind, or B, not have any customer interaction with them once the transaction is complete. You're never going to get them back. And it's always easier to keep customers than to get new ones. Or C, the word is going to get out and you're not going to have any customers at all. So you know, if, if you aren't being authentic in who you present yourself to be, then you are going to have a really hard time keeping customers and getting new ones. Absolutely. Um, so say, say there's a business that says, I completely agree with everything you said today. And they put six, nine, 12 months into maybe not rebranding, but just focusing their brand, putting effort into their branding, right? Mm -hmm. How can they look at that a year later and say, I've made progress? That is such a hard question to answer. It's because brand is intangible. But I think that the progress will really come when you look at your work product that that you're putting out and you gauge how easy or difficult it was to produce those products along your brand lines. So if in those entire nine to 12 months, you are constantly having to redo all of your branding and or edit things to be your style or your expectations or, you know, to feel like you, then you still have some more work to do. But if you look back and you say to yourself, you know, the brand is just a part of who we are. It's not something we have to do. It's just something that we do because that's what's important to us. And it's natural and it's intuitive and nobody thinks twice about it. Then I think you're in a good place. Um, As you continue to work with your customers, don't be afraid to ask them for their feedback. Don't be afraid to get their input. Also, don't be afraid to ignore some of that input. Because if you listen to every single customer who comes through your door, everyone's going to have different opinions. But as you're asking people, if trends emerge and you start to see people saying the same things over and over again, then that's when you start to pay attention. So I think it's it's just it's 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 a thing that you just know. You know that your brand is working because it feels right when you produce materials. They feel right. They feel like you and you are proud to show everything that goes out the door to your most important customer. And if you aren't proud to show that to your most important customer or your toughest customer, 
then you need to have a second look of whether it should have gone out in the first place. 100%. Uh, we've been talking a lot about, about how brand is really hard, right? But you kind of started talking a little bit about the stuff that you're putting out needs to match with that brand to and match with the authenticity. One thing to keep in mind is that if you are being authentic and you get that, it's hard to get that brand to that point, right? right. Once you're mm-hmm. there, it makes putting out content a lot easier. It's a lot easier. Because you're just speaking your truth. Right. And it makes it so you, I mean, if you're looking at um, trying to put out a lot more content on social, you want all that so- that content on social to match your brand. If you believe in your brand, it's really easy to put content out. Absolutely. Because you're just putting out how you feel. Absolutely. You're putting out stuff that fits right in line with your everyday experiences. You're not trying to create a facade of who you are. You're not trying to create a different persona of what your customers would experience when they interact with you. Rather, you are documenting and sharing your everyday experiences, what they can expect, your social media, your brand, everything should just be a mirror reflection of what your customers can expect when they work with you. That's all it is. Absolutely. So it's just put in that initial hard work, maintain it, but it makes your job a lot easier down the road. Absolutely. It's a lot of hard work up front. It's a lot of self-reflection and introspection. It's a lot of time with other people who can help you articulate what your intent is and what you're trying to sell and what your everyday experiences are. And that is the hardest part. It is hard to take that information and turn it into a message that people can see and understand and and feel with you. Um, And that is why some brands are really great and some brands struggle. But there is no reason that every company from the one person organization to the 100,000 person organization can't have a really solid brand, but it has to be a conscious choice. It is not something that's just going to happen. And especially not as you grow. The more people you add, the more your brand will be diluted unless you create a culture that is authentic to your brand with the people who are joining your team. I was just going to bring that up is we've talked a lot about Apple, Cisco, Lyft being a massive company. Right. And the brand that goes into that. But all those companies that are out there like, yeah, those are all big companies. But what about me? I have five people on my team. I'm a Main Street, Iowa company or shop or business. Why does all of this, all of that effort that they put into their big, massive company matter so much to a company like me? So there's a lot of parts to that question. But those brands have the resources to dedicate people to that. They also have thousands of people that they need to make sure are accurately reflecting the brand and complying with the brand. So they have these huge groups to to police everyone, to make sure that everything is reflective of the brand the company wants to portray. So while a lot of small businesses do not have the resources to have a dedicated brand manager, they also don't have to make sure that a thousand people in their department are reflective of the brand. So the scales are different, but there is a reason that these organizations hire and pay these people lots of money and lots of time and lots of everything to make sure that the brand is there is because it's important and it's got to just be a conscious effort. So yes, you might be a one person shop. You might be a five person shop on main street, but you want your brand to be completely and totally reflective of who you are and be authentic. We've talked about that a lot, but also to give customers a chance to know what they are getting from you. And, and they want, you want them to be synonymous with your industry. So I think of, you know, a coffee shop on main street. When I think coffee, you want me to think of your, your shop on main street. When I think cupcakes, you want me to think of your cupcake shop on main street. You don't want me to think, Oh, I'll just go to Walmart and get a cup of coffee. Because you as a small business have to compete with that larger box corporation who has all of that. So having a consistent brand, being focused in your marketing, understanding how you are coming across can help your brand be more successful and compete more successfully in whatever your product sector is or your service sector. Because people will start to think of, oh, 
you know, this cupcake brand, I know exactly who I'm talking about. If I say this kind of cupcake, you know exactly who I'm talking about, or these donuts or this coffee. All of these things make up a strong brand, and they are strong brands because we immediately associate that name with those products. Just like we talked about earlier, Kleenex, tissues, Q-tips, cotton swabs. Those are things because they've done such a good job with their brand that it's become synonymous. And every company started small. Nobody becomes Apple overnight. You start out as a guy in a turtleneck in a garage, right? And the reason Apple is successful, I will argue with anyone, is because of their brand. Because they treated it like an integral piece of the puzzle. Just because you're a small company does not mean you can't compete when it comes to building your brand. Right. You don't have to spend billions of dollars to do it. Right. You can do it in a much more efficient way just by being conscientious of it. Absolutely. And and I, w- I always encourage myself and the people I work with to be who you want to be tomorrow, today. And if you want to be a large, well-respected organization someday, or if you just want to be synonymous with your industry and people immediately think of you, then you have to focus on that end state, right? The intent and the end state and designing with the end in mind rather than saying, here's where I am today, so I'm not going to waste my time on where I'm going, because you will just circle forever. You need to look at where you want to be, figure out the steps that take you there, and know that branding is a major piece of one of those steps. And it's not just not just a, you know, a step along the way, it is the central puzzle piece to the success of your organization. I, I think that's somewhere that we or I specifically made a really big mistake when we first started is when we did first start, like like you said, tomorrow, I only thought of us as a video production company. Right. I didn't see three years ahead that we might evolve into something more than that. And I did a really good job of branding us as a video production company. Almost too good, right? To a fault in a way that I've struggled to get people to see past the video production that we can do. Because we still yeah. do video production and we still do quality video production with that but people don't see past that or know us for anything other than that. So it's so funny that you say that. We talked earlier about, you know, eye tracking research and our customers asking us to do other things. Right. And I have a distinct conversation of sitting in my office with Mike and we were talking about, you know, our services. And I was adamant that we would only ever do eye tracking research. We would never expand into anything else. We're going to do one thing really, really well. (laughs) And then, uh, that my tune changed really quickly when, you know, our clients started saying, hey, we'll pay you for this other stuff that we want you to do. So then all of a sudden it was like, we will only do eye tracking and surveys and we won't do anything else. And now all of a sudden we have a suite of like 10 services. So, when, when do you know to stop with that though? Because at a certain point, and we've gone through that too, because we've been asked to do a lot of things beyond what we typically do, just because we know how to do them. It's not a core service. Absolutely. At what point does that then start to take away from your brand? If you have a well-articulated brand, it cannot. So if you have determined that your brand represents this thing, then you need to have a hard question and a hard conversation with yourself. Does this new opportunity, this new service that we would create, does that align with our brand? So if you have a core set of brand values, for us, it was science, clients, uh, discovery, and team. And if you have your core set of values, you can ask yourself, does this new service offering reflect the brand that we have created? Is it authentic to us? It, is it who we are as a company? So that's your first like pass through. Your second pass is... Does this make sense from a business perspective? Is this something that is going to be sustainable? Is it something that we can produce long term? Is there a greater customer base than just this one customer who's asking for it? Is it something we can do and still maintain a profit margin? But notice how that is the second question you ask. The first question you ask is, is this authentic and true to our brand? Is this who we are? So I think that that's another reason why you have to really articulate your brand and create those guidelines because you can't ask those questions if you don't even know the framework you're working in. Yep. That is 100% accurate. And gosh, we've 
covered a lot of stuff. We really have. And, and I'm the <laughs> worst so of much it. more that we could talk about. I have shiny squirrel syndrome in which like anything <laughs> shiny and new runs across my plate. I'm like, ooh. Ooh, right. Cool. And then I have to remind myself that, no, I can't chase every squirrel that right. I see out the window because I will never get anything done and we will never get anywhere because, you know, you have to be consistent and you have to right. commit to things. So that's been hard for me because I love like the shiny new thing. And uh, that's something I had to learn early on as a as a business leader that you just can't do that. You just can't. No, no, we've covered a ton in this. Is there anything that you feel is important in that conversation around branding that we've missed that people should really know about? I mean, if you if you haven't taken away from the fact uh, from this conversation yet, I'm a firm believer that your brand is the most important thing that you will develop. All your new products and services are important, yes, because they matter for operations and revenue generation. But your brand is the one thing that you can never take back. You it it has to be exactly what you want it to be and reflective of what you want it to be because you really only get one chance with people, especially in today's day and age where they have so many other options and they can go anywhere in the world for any service that they could imagine or any product that they can imagine. You really only get one shot to tell your story because they're not going to give you a second chance. Absolutely. I think that's a good uh, note to end on because I I believe wholeheartedly in, in what you just said. And I want that to be what everyone remembers when they end this podcast. I want them to go off and think about what they're doing with their businesses and their brands mm -hmm. and hopefully uh, be inspired to make some changes if they feel like they're struggling within theirs. Awesome. So yeah. um, that is it for this episode of Raisin Brand. And uh, I am not sure who's next week, but I know we have several interviews lined up coming up soon. So if you don't already uh, subscribe, it's on every platform you could probably think of. Uh, there's a few more still coming out. Uh, make sure you hit the subscribe button and get notified of all the future episodes that we have coming out. Until then, stay tuned.